Hello, my name is Zoltan Chigesh, and this is Zoltan's podcast on coaching. In this series, I'm talking with internationally renowned coaching scientists and coaches. We explore their personal and professional insights on the science of coaching and on the helping professions. Are you interested in how they got close to this profession? Are you curious about the new frontiers they are exploring right now? Join me and listen to the conversation. Inspiration and some fun is ahead. Liz, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. Well, it's a total pleasure, Zoli, to meet with you. Thank you for asking me. And uh, we have a, a long past, and I really honor that past, and I've written a few words about you in the introduction blog post. But I would like to ask you to introduce yourself, because I'm, I'm always curious on how people introduce themselves in different stages of their life. So what is your current introduction of yourself? I know that's a really good question, actually, because what we tend to do is rattle off, oh, you know, I'm a coach, which I am. Um, I'm a supervisor, which I am. I'm a trainer, which I am. I'm an author, which I am. And I'm a researcher. Um, And then there's this other side of who actually are we? And it's a very deep question, Zolly, and I don't think we have the time to actually go into that depth today. I'm um, um, okay with spending the remaining 45 minutes with just that single question. <laughs> so, well, um, you know, I'm... It, it's funny, isn't it? I, when, when I start to think about it, how I get stuck then about thinking, who am I, basically, when you hide behind the roles that you play in your life. So if I think about it in terms of roles, I'm a mother, I've got two adult children, uh, and one. my son is ex-military, and he now works on projects aligned with the military. Uh, My daughter is the manager of a women's centre who help women who are dealing with trauma in their lives. Uh, and so I'm very proud of my my adult children in what they contribute to society. I'm married uh, to David. I have a and I have Charlie the dog who I adore, uh, and he's a real pet and totally spoiled. And my children have always said, "Mum, you never spoil us like that." <laughs> so I said, "Yeah, well, I wanted to bring you up as responsible adults." So that's me in terms of being a mother and a wife, and I and and. For myself, I've always enjoyed an active life. So I'm very into going to the gym. I love walking. I love cycling. I've recently started to think I might take up kayaking. We have lakes near us, which uh, you can do paddle boarding, which I also enjoy. Um, but I've tried kayaking a couple of times on holiday and I've really, I really like it and I find it very relaxing. So I, we've got a water park not too far away. So I think that might be my next venture. And I like swimming, so if I fall in, that's fine. Uh, so is that enough, do you think, about me? Yes, absolutely. And I can relate to kayaking because the the stillness and how calm it can be, that is really important for me. However, I'm not so good in swimming. So falling into the water, well, that's a threatening thing for me, but... I always do kayaking in good company, so there's always someone to save me. 
That's good. So, yeah, I'm really pleased I saved you. And thank you for all this. And I, I think they, when we met professionally, that was a, a, a very active part of your life because I met you as the EMCC president. Yes. And, uh, you know, I will have a question for that, but my first question is that what brought you to coaching? So how come that you became a coach and a researcher? Because these are the two keywords I'm, I'm usually speaking around. Yes, indeed. Well, my background is human resources, Ollie. That's been my, that was my main career before I became a coach. And I worked in a, a very large local government organization of 18,000 people at that time. Uh, and we had very good systems, you know, despite all the criticism there is about local government, the systems are normally really great. It's the application of them that sometimes falls down. Uh, and part of that was um, the performance management system I was involved with heavily. Uh, and this is kind of linked to the topic of feedback that we'll talk a, a bit more about. And I won't say too, I won't say too much about that right now because your, your question was what, why yeah, I came to Feel free to go there. Okay. okay. So, um, I was involved as a lot of HR people were in the formulation of the system of performance management. And I did a, a project for the whole organization on competencies. So that's my background in competencies as well on setting standards, which I contributed to EMCC quality awards in my early days with the MCC. And uh, I, you know, I, I I thought we had a really robust system, but it kind of wasn't applied in practice within the organisation. There seemed to be some reluctance to get involved in um, supporting people's development. It was all, there was everything there. The infrastructure was in place, but the implementation, as I said before, just wasn't there. And managers would shy away from things. A number of times, Zolly, I had people coming into my office and say, Lise, you need to sort my team out. And I would go in, well, let's sit down and talk about that because, you know, I wasn't going to take over the line manager's role. Anyway, this is a, a bit of a long answer to your your question in terms of getting to the point that, I just became disenchanted, to be honest with you. I, I, I just found that I'm a creative person. I love innovation. And there just wasn't the opportunity. So we were having yet another reorganization at one time. And I, I when I look back on it now, I think what a risk I took, because I was in a senior role within the organization and getting a very healthy monthly salary. And I'd heard about coaching uh, but I also had this kind of inner sense that I would love to have my own business. I could feel this entrepreneur in me bursting and wanting to get out and not have the constraints of employment um, uh, and, and to become, you know, my own my own employer. So I took the plunge in a reorganization and put my hand up and said, I'm, I volunteer, you know, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll go on redundancy. And they went, no, 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 we want you to go and do the training side. And I went, no, 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 I, my role is redundant. So I, I want to, I want to go. Um, and I left really without thinking what I was going to do. And I, I suppose I lent heavily on my experience in HR, um, probably for, 
18 months, two years. I did some work for them, contracting. Uh, people that I knew from other organisations were very kind and brought me in to do some work for them. So I was doing consultancy, but it was all HR. And I thought I left HR because I'd had enough of it. You know, I didn't I didn't want to do the employment law and the health and safety legislation. And we had the EU legislation coming in and it was getting really complicated. And I thought this is not what I came into HR for. So that question that I asked myself led me into coaching because I loved helping people to develop. I was really interested in helping people to upskill, realise their positions in that organisation that I was employed by. And coaching was around and I thought, hmm, let's have a look at that. But there wasn't much training around at that time. I'm going back now, Zolly. Um, there wasn't much training in terms of uh, what we see now. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I got the training that I could, bits and pieces here and there. I read a lot. A lot of it was from America, the literature that was around. There wasn't too much that I could find in the UK. And then I discovered EMCC. Uh, and I, I joined EMCC. And, of course, that was, you know, I've been a member there for over 20 years now. So um, it, I, it was a, a wonderful start to my coaching career to meet other like-minded people. My learning curve was vertical. Uh, it was, I, I just immersed myself in all the wonderful opportunities I had of meeting people from different cultures, supporting the standards, developing those. I was on the standards committee in the UK because that's where EMCC was founded. Um, and I just, just loved it. I mean, there's no other word for it. And, and I slowly built my practice sorry for interrupting and then just okay. you but I can see your how your enthusiasm as you started to speak about your coaching career and the EMCC you you all lit up and you were like yeah <laughs> and um, I was just thinking that well we could make a, a good case study about you how you left your previous uh, workplace and because what you've been mentioning there it sounds like a a common HR challenge, or this is something that I face even these days, or my clients or my friends face these days, is that how good systems are not working or not supporting, not, not making their ends meet. And we, we could go there, but I would rather stick with your fancy EMCC things. I'm, I'm giving you the, giving back the word to you. And, and I would be curious on how, how did you get to be the president? So because that, that is a major role. It's a really good question, that, Zolly, because I asked myself that at the time. Um, as I mentioned to you, I, I started off in the Standards Committee in the UK, uh, and that gave me a lot of experience. We were we were creating the accreditations in that Standards Committee. I worked with some wonderful people. We all pulled our knowledge. We researched what we could in terms of standards. And um, we create we, we had a lot of knowledge between us. And uh, because, you know, I, I do like challenges and I, I want to expand my knowledge all the time, even though I'd become chair of the Standards Committee in the UK, I thought, what's going on in the rest of the EMCC? What's happening out there in the mainland Europe where um, Julie Hay, who was the president then, had been doing some great work in terms of growing, you know, encouraging countries to become affiliated 
So there was a, a, a board, an international board, global as it's called now, and a vacancy came up for a vice president. So I applied for it and I was delighted to be appointed. And I became vice president of external relations, which really suited me because, again, I, I love reaching out into the community and, and trying to attract the growth of the MCC. So that was a great opportunity for me. And I suppose I was on, I was on the, as vice president on the board for probably about five years, something like that. Uh, and then the, the current term for the president that was in situ then was coming to an end. Uh, so it was coming up for voting for council to choose a new president. And a few people said to me, you go for president, Lise? And I said, no, <laughs> just, you know, it just hadn't dawned on me to do that. Um, however, the more I thought about it, I thought, well, why, why not? Why not go for it? I could see there were things that I would love to get started. Um, um, and, you know, we had no strategy, for example. We had no strategic plan. We had no vision for where we were going in the future. It was very much, uh, you know, a growth, organic growth, but not with any, not with any direction as such. So, and there were other things that I wanted to do. So, uh, and why not? You know, if I don't get voted, that's fine. I'll stay on. I'll stay on as vice president. So no one was more surprised than me. I can tell you when I was voted as president, and um, my first three years were very much about introducing new new initiatives into the MCC. And I I think probably I tried to do too much at, yeah. at one time because we ran on volunteers. Uh, and we, we didn't have as many volunteers then as we do now in the MCC. Uh, and so by the, t the first three years of that, that term for president went so quickly, I thought, yes, if, if council will have me, I'll stay on another three years. So that's what I did. And I was six, president for six years in total. And then I thought it was time to say that's enough you know if it gets some new energy from someone else and I I had exhausted a lot of my own my my business my own business had really suffered it was just ticking over because being president became a full-time role but I did it very willingly you know I didn't begrudge it at all it was amazing I, I loved it I loved every minute of it so that's that's the story of that one Sonny. Thank you and thank you for sharing that and when I why I think your your current position is unique that you had you have a background in research. Your feedback is your topic. You have an insight over over coaching standards because you were involved in the creation of one of the most prestigious of international standards. You were a global president, past vice president of external relations. So yeah, I'm really curious on how you see the coaching landscape these days because you have the insight from the professional perspective and from the international connections perspective. So what do you see now? What, what is happening to your profession? That's a big question, actually, Zoli. What is happening? I mean... Uh, yeah, I, I, I meant to ask that consciously because I'm, I'm just curious on what the trends you may see or what yeah. is the thing that's, that goes for your attention. And I'm, of course, not interested in a, in a detailed analysis. I'm just curious of from your perspective well if, if we take if we just start with standards first of all i think you know in an unregulated industry 
it, it's a real challenge for professional bodies to encourage people to sign up to these standards. They're there. You know, we push them, as you know, all the professional bodies in terms of encouraging people to become accredited and recognised. The more that we we are able to provide information for buyers of coaching and mentoring and supervision, the more that we're able to encourage people to become accredited and to recognise that the value of showing a professional, they have a professional underpinning. So I see that that's going to continue. There's a big kind of conversation around competencies, how effective they are, etc. But, it, you know, you could talk that, about the whole education system. Generally, universally, you could argue our qualifications the best way of going forward. Well, probably not. However, until we find something to replace that, then it's at least we have a standard. We've got something that people can use, especially with the code of ethics, you know, how we can practice professionally. And there's the support of the professional bodies. So I see that. I see the professional bodies gaining more and more recognition and, and growth in terms of the industries growing. More and more people are out there. You know, it's, it's kind of watching it go across the world. If, if, if I look at the world as being flat, which we know it's not, but if you go, you know, if, if, if the world maps that I'm familiar with, you know, the UK's in the middle. I don't know why, but it is. Uh, but if you go towards the, you know, you come from the States, that's where coaching started, uh, more life coaching. It then became, uh, in, the, in the European approach, came more corporate. It's gone right across now. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it's worldwide. It's here to stay is my, is my belief. I think, you know, we, we all see the value of it. The more people that are encouraged, the, the more we'll get involved. Corporates, of course, they're, they're now growing their own internal functions, which is understandable. I think some are, are seeing that it's good to have some calibration over that in terms of having a mix of internal and external. Because you, you, when you're internal, you're part of the system. You may know the system, that's helpful, but you're part of it. So you're bound to be... In, you know, you're, you're you're bound to be influenced by that system, so you need that external independence. So I think that balance is still there. I generally we we must think about artificial intelligence more. I think that should you know, be my next question. Yeah, it's it's no. I mean, I can remember doing um, a keynote in Bangkok before COVID. It's probably five years ago now for APAC. Um, Asia Pacific Association of Coaching and my topic was on AI because I was so fascinated by it as you probably gathered I love new things I love learning about new things and um, so I did some research that's you know I've always researched topics this is this is my kind of my my entry into research if you like has been my own interest uh, and wanting to find more and what's out there And, and, and I was the same with AI and and it, people are still talking about it as though it's just arrived. It's been around for for some time now, and we need to get involved in this because otherwise, you know, we can't see the opportunities for us of you of combining AI with what we do, and we and we can't see the threats either. I mean, I think we've accepted already that the kind of transactional type of coaching is threatened by AI. You can get you can. 
get a um, chatbot on the run, on the wall on your iPhone, and you can set an action plan easily. You don't you don't need a human being to do that with you. So it's about how we can distinguish what we as humans still have to offer that AI can't. I mean, AI hasn't got a heart. Um, so you know, there's something about the, that that human interaction. Of course, this is where I got interested in feedback. It's the relational side of um, the work as coaches that really interests me. That's that's my focus. So I think yes, that's where I see the trends going. I think supervision will grow. Uh, it hasn't got a it hasn't got uh, traction everywhere yet, but I think people are increasingly seeing the value of it. Um, coaching has grown in countries that only looked at mentoring, such as China. I mean, you know, you don't you see coaching in China where it, it, it wasn't at all present. And supervision, it will grow the same way. It just, they're all young industries. We're so fortunate to be at the grassroots of these things. So, yeah, there's lots happening, Solly, that I think we need to be mindful of and aware of going into the future. We can't become complacent just because coaching has become so popular. I agree. And thank you very much for sharing this. I, I was so glad to hear that you started with the opportunities when reflecting on AI and not immediately with the threats, because I usually hear it the other way around. People oh, okay. are getting scared of, okay, we are going to be robbed of for clients and what's going to happen. So I was happy to hear the opportunities. Yeah, and the and you already answered my next question that it was the relational aspect that brought you to the topic of feedback and this is how your interest in AI and technology is linked to your research and to the topic of your book. Can I say books? Well, um, you can say book and a book in progress. There will be a, a second edition coming out as soon as I've finished it, which hopefully will be shortly. How the, so you say that it was the, your interest in the relational aspect of, of technology that brought you to the topic of feedback. And I was surprised to hear this because I really thought that your interest in feedback was more related to your background around standards and how we, and you were nodding negatively. I'm just commenting what is happening between the two of us on the screen. So you're, there was a big no-no on your face. So I always told that your interest in feedback, oh. your background in standards and in competencies. So, well, that throws most a number of my questions out the window. Sorry. <laughs> but that, that's the beauty of this, you know. This is the beauty of a conversation that I can show my assumptions out the window. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm curious, how, how come that you, that you found feedback as a central topic in the, in the technological invasion of coaching? Because I could think of other topics as well. How did you get to the topic of feedback? Well, it started way back in my HR career in terms of, you know, I mentioned my frustration that performance management systems didn't work. I also was well qualified in the use of psychometrics. I did a lot of training um, many years ago in a whole range of psychometrics and used those in terms of career planning and career development in my role. Um, and of course, there was a strong element of feedback in that. So, and I could re, I could feel, um, I was drawn to it in terms of 
make how I use my language, how I use the relationship to support some of the areas that weren't so easy to digest for the individual. And of course, in many cultures, in the UK it is one of those. We look for the criticisms as we see it, you know, in terms of getting feedback. You know, what what am I? What's coming next? You know. And I also noticed that uh, managers were very reluctant to give feedback. I, I mentioned earlier, uh, managers would come in to ask me to sort their team out, and that my my conversation was with them then about how. How could they manage to work with them? And a lot weren't interested, to be honest with you. They just expected their team to do as they were told. Of course, that style of leadership doesn't work anymore. We know that it still exists in a lot of hierarchical organisations, but it doesn't work, especially with the younger generations. They're not interested in being told what to do. They're interested in having a supportive relationship and and encouraging their development so it always stuck with me and I always said to myself if ever I get the chance to do something about the quality of feedback and and encouraging people to get engaged I would do it and then I I kind of had it hanging around me I I I um I'd done an MBA and I, I was very kind of on the brink of it and then I thought do you know what I'm going to do a doctoral study and it's going to be on feedback and I didn't shift from that I thought there's got to be more that we can do about encouraging feedback uh, between people other than using psychometrics the something sandwich which you'll know the middle word that goes with that um, you know and all the all the kind of approaches that people took to use them feed forward and you know, I'm not I, and I'm not criticizing those I'm just saying they weren't sufficient in my view and mm-hmm. I, you know I've included those in my in my first book I've said let's have a look at them what's available what do people use in organizations um, and I mentioned I use psychometrics quite a lot it, it was only part of the story so I was fascinated to see what else could we look at and of course the relationship became very obvious so my field study and my doctoral research was with fellow coaches mm-hmm. uh, and we we got we got together uh, and they came from different backgrounds which was amazing you know we had a very rich um, set of coaches who had different disciplines that they they came into coaching with which made it very rich discussions and I we formulated together a set of observations that they could make in their practice now we should we um you know to use Schoen's work could we reflect in practice as we were working with our clients or did we reflect on practice? Well, obviously, I would have preferred them to reflect in practice. But, you know, there was a, there was a challenge about that in terms of not having total focus on the client. So um, in the end, we agreed it would be a reflection on practice and we would meet regularly. We, we did a, a, a kind a kind of action research but I couldn't say it was fully that approach because we didn't change the questions that I asked. So um, they remained the same. Anyway, long story short, sorry, um, because obviously, you know, it was a long study. (laughs) But it's okay if you shorten it. (laughs) Yeah, the observations that they made on, on their practice 
I did a thematic analysis of those responses. And, and out of those, those um, thematic responses, I created a framework, which I called the Relational Leadership Way, because I wanted to encourage leaders to become more relational in their interactions with their direct reports. Can you share a few words about this framework? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's, it's useful not just for leaders, but for people in all other walks of life. I think so. I think it, it, it it's very portable. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we could even use it, dare I say, in our personal relationships, some of these things we can think about. The relational leadership way, come, you know, I split the, the themes into three sections. Mm-hmm. And the first part is uh, what we need to prepare to encourage relationships that stimulate constructive conversations. So it's about what we can do together that it takes both of us to interact in this. Mm-hmm. So I'm also, uh, this is about not just the giver of feedback using this thematic framework, but also the receiver. So that because I, I want it to become generative, our conversations, mm-hmm. so that we work together on this and we find solutions together. What better way for people development than to work on through it together rather than be, this is what you need to do. This is what I want to happen. That obviously has got to come into that conversation. But if we use that, if we put that into a coaching context where we're helping people find the best way for themselves, you can see how this framework will work yeah yeah one quick question for this uh, when you got to this research you, you already had a background in coaching and you were already yeah. practicing so were there any surprising findings for this part for creating or supporting the relationship i think it i wouldn't say surprising I wouldn't say surprising necessarily. I think what it did was bring the relationship to the forefront. I think we can easily get caught up in processes uh, and models and techniques and tools. And and we don't think enough about how can we bring the two of us together. I'm generalizing. Obviously, there's a lot of great coaches out there who think very much about the relationship. But this is bringing it to the forefront, this framework. This is uh, what I'm saying is it's the most important part. If we get the relationship right, everything will fall into place. So good to hear that. Although I'm a fan of theories and models and frameworks and tools and whatever, um, I always have the fear or I'm aware of my fear of losing my clients or just modeling them or, or touring yeah. them with some of the great stuff that I've learned. So This is a framework, of course, but however, it's the idea is that we take on these these approaches so that we can forget the framework. Uh-huh. Just let it go. Because we've we've thought about the preparation in terms of not what we want to say. This is what tends to happen in feedback conversations. We think about what we need to say. This is about managing ourselves. How are we coming into the conversation? You know. Are we stressed? Have we just had a bad experience somewhere? Do we need to ground ourselves? Do we need to become centered? Uh, and, and think about, you know, am I going into this this conversation in a way that's going to encourage the other person to interact with me in a relaxed way? 
Or am I so worked up about the feedback that I'm going to give or how the other person's going to react that I'm already tense, which the other person will pick up, as we know. And so, you know, we're already creating the friction in the, in the relationship because we're not relaxed. So it's that first part of that preparation is about that self-management and also to think about how ready do we think the other person is? What happens, I know, I observed is that many people in their preparation think about what they're going to say. They don't think about how the other person might receive it. So there's compassion that needs to be in there for ourselves if it's going to be what we think is a tough conversation, of course, it may not be. The other person might be okay with it. So we can be careful about our assumptions. Uh, uh, um, but if it is a difficult one, compassion for ourselves, because we have to give this message. But also compassion for the other person. How, the, how are we going to manage how they receive it? How does that affect our delivery? Then we think about maybe what tone we use, the vocabulary we use. Words hurt more than we know. Mm-hmm. So we have to consider the, the language. So that's the first part of the framework. The second part is actively engaging uh, in co-creating that, that positive conversation um, through adopting relational behaviours. And in this second part, the themes, Zolly, I'll just run through them very quickly, are objectivity. So forget our our feelings of subjectivity we could often come in with our views our worldview this is what we think about things this is how we interpret it but how can we maintain that objectivity and we retain that in terms of really being open to where the other person is coming from and is there a quick fix for that or a or a one sentence solution for that because that seems to be a real challenge to be to stay objective you know certain philosopher friends of mine would even question that such a stance exists at all but let's not go there okay i'm not saying this is this stuff is easy i'm saying we need to be raising awareness about these are the behaviors the relational behaviors that are going to make our interactions with others more successful Mm-hmm. So we we know that we come with our own prejudice and bias and unconscious bias. We know this and we know the other person will. But the more we're aware of that, the more that we can erode that those subjective thoughts. I'm not saying that we're going to get rid of them completely. We're human beings. So, you know, we, it's bound to happen that, that there will be subjective creep, let's call it that will come into our conversations. But that re- that awareness at least helps us to think about what am I bringing to this? What are my prejudices about this person, mm-hmm. for example? You know, that I that I need to maybe rethink and find uh, and give the other person the opportunity to help me to think differently. You know, it, not saying it's easy. I'm just saying this is an approach that we might think to take. And, you know, that's what a lot of these techniques make, you know, they, they seduce us into thinking it's, there's a quick fix. There isn't, because it, we're, we're dealing here with human the human condition and human frailties. So we have to respect that and work with it um, if we want to improve. I mean, there's so much around about how important feedback is. And it's just not, it, 
it, it just isn't given the, the space it needs to breathe and think about a different way of being. It, this is about a way of being, isn't it? This is about us, how we come into it. Um, and we as coaches know about presence, but if we're thinking about people in organisations that are working with feedback all the time, they they may not be present half the time. It's, you know, somebody could be going on talking about something and the other person becomes bored. Well, then... They're not going to be present, are they? They might be thinking about the next meeting they've got. They might be thinking about the meeting they've just had. We know how easy it is to get distracted. We know how easy the brain becomes bored uh, in, in a conversation sometimes and just goes off somewhere else. So this is about, act, remember, part two is about active, active engagement. So this is about us actively working on maintaining that presence. What are we noticing in the other person? And practicing mindfulness helps us to to encourage the ability to remain as present. We can't remain present 100% of the time. It's too hard work for the brain. You know, it's but at least we can work towards being as present as we possibly can. And the last um, theme in that part two is the timing of feedback. Now, this is a really tricky one. If we think about, you know, some harsh feedback to give, how do we know when the timing's right? So the, the what came out of this research was that if we really behave relationally and we really actively work at being engaged with the other one and noticing what's going on, we will get a sense because I asked people, how do, this was one of the questions, how do you know when it's, when, when it's right for you to give feedback with your client? And they say, I just sense it, I just feel it. So um, in that third, in the third part of the framework, intuition's in there. Let's not ignore our intuition. Mm-hmm. Let's let's celebrate it. I mean, it is it is becoming more recognised now. I mean, it has been kind of given a bad press in corporates especially you know we want the hard facts we want data to to prove what you're about to say intuition don't want that fluffy stuff but you know um uh, this this framework is saying don't ignore it which takes me to that part three and it's about you both noticing that's why it's important that we're both aware of this framework and reacting to what's emerging in the conversation and what's impacting the, uh, the the relationship, the quality of the relationship. So if we see it floating away somewhere, we might want to bring it back. And to do that, we're noticing the other person's physicality, you know, how are they how are they reacting to the conversation that we're having? So I'm looking at you right now, Zolly, and you're, you're looking at me and I can think you're in, you know, you've got that look that's saying, I am listening to you, you know, you're doing the odd nod. Um, your body language is, is a bit forward, so you're showing me that you're engaged with me. And I think I, we're both mirroring our body language here in this conversation. I know the listeners can't see us, but you know, there's a mirroring going on. Take a screenshot here, if you don't mind. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. So, you know, we share it and check if it's okay for you to share. <laughs> Okay, okay. So the neuroscientists among us will remind us of our mirror neurons that we, you know, we 
we pick up those signals from each other all the time. Uh, and if we feel that there's kind of a pulling away, then the relational leadership way is saying, what's going on? What's going on here that the other person's pulling away? What am I contributing to this? So instead of going, it's the other person who's pulling away, they may be, but what's the reason for that? And how can we pull that back in terms of getting that re-engagement? Thank you. And as you were describing the model, I have I have a curiosity both on your on your subjectivity, so your, your subjectively favorite parts, and I have some professional questions. So let me go for the first one first. Do, do you have a favorite relational behavior that came out from your research? So is there something that you think that we we should all be paying more attention to? I don't think that I have a favorite one. I think for me, the 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 whole framework is shouting we need to focus on the relationship mm-hmm. because we'll di- I, I mean I'm I, I'm sharing these themes with you sequentially you know because that's how they are in the framework but my my thinking is it's a composite framework actually mm-hmm. uh, and we move in and out of all of them so that self-management isn't just in the preparation stage we can think about our self-management all the way through that might be my favorite actually that's just emerged in our conversation that might be the one that i say mm-hmm. that is the most important how are we behaving how are we managing what's evoking in us in the conversation what's stimulating us what's triggering in us when we're with the other person and what might we be noticing about how we're impacting on the other what are we what are we contributing to that i don't think we have enough focus on ourselves here you know we could i mean emotional intelligence is at the root of a lot of this in terms of how aware are we of our impact on others so that you know that that's in underpinning this framework in terms of we know that's more important than iq now for leaders Mm -hmm. and as you were as you are saying this self uh, I'm thinking about self-awareness because that's really the things so are very closely linked to self-management and my my question is do you have a favorite approach or a proven approach that can help people especially in the short term to be more self-aware because applying such a framework needs self-awareness if i'm if i'm not aware of what is happening with me then i wouldn't be able to react on myself so goes out the window the whole concept of self-management so what would be your approach or your quick tip or fix for raising self-awareness well i suppose it's emulating what we do in coaching really and that's sharing the idea of, of reflective practice i think that's the, that's the key here that if we if we reflect more on our conversations, well, before we get to that, if we reflect more in the moment on our conversations, so if we're more aware of taking notice of what's what's happening in our conversations and our interactions with others, 
and accepting responsibility for our contribution. I think, you know, I notice in my practice as a coach uh, and a mentor and, uh, uh, and the situations people bring to supervision, there's always something out there that's the issue. It, you know, people that are not coaches now, I'm talking about um, people that don't have coaching um, knowledge or skills particularly, then they, there is a low level of self-awareness there on occasion. You know, those those are probably, uh, again, the main part of my practice is around raising self-awareness in in others that maybe there isn't too much uh, and it's causing difficulties in their, for them within their teams and within their their roles as leaders. It's 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 holding them back, so they're technically extremely sound. Uh, uh, and however, when it comes to interactions with others, and you know, if we think about leadership for tomorrow, Zoli, what's happening is that. It's going to revolve more and more around relationships because we're working with less resources, more more productivity is expected. So we have to get used to maybe five generations in the workplace. Yeah. So we got to think about those generational interactions. So the, to me, the relationship comes to the fore. If we don't, if we can't get on with people, how are we going to make things happen? Okay, you could say. In a crisis, just tell people what to do. Accepted. Accepted. If we've got a crisis, you don't want to go into a great long discussion or think about how am I impacting on this person? You need some action. But we're talking here about sustainability in terms of raising performance in organisations and increasing productivity. So therefore, to me, it revolves around good relationships it, it revolves around teams working with a team mindset, not with an individual mindset. Mm. That comes through being relational. Thank you. You know, unfortunately, I see that we are approaching the end of our time, but you just brought in so many important keywords for me. Sustainability, long-term performance, shrinking of resources, which we could combine with the whole idea of, of AI and how the workplaces are going to change. And uh, I thoroughly agree that uh, relationships and relational leadership, self and others, will be a key concept, not just concept, a key practice for the future of us, for, for the better future of us. So I would be happy to explore these topics in the next conversation, if you are up for it. I'm and- really up for it. And uh, if I may just say at the end here, my my... The first book was based on my research, but the second book is based on research of actual case studies that have that I that I've experienced and have been generously donated, so that we can pick those apart mm-hmm. uh, and look into those and, and help people to think about. Yes, I've been in that situation, uh, and maybe look at it in a different light, in a relational way. Ooh, sounds interesting. So. Yeah, I would be happy to talk about your next book as well. And even before that, I think there are a number of topics that we've just raised right now. And I know that we share ideas around sustainability. We had a chat about climate change and green things. I would be 
honor to have a conversation around those as well with you in the future. Thank you very much, Liz, for joining me today. It was a pleasure to have this conversation with you. A total pleasure for me, Zoli. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to On Coaching Podcast, where I have curious conversations with world-renowned coaches and researchers. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate us and subscribe. I also invite you to visit zoltanchigesh.com, where you can access more resources regarding the coaching industry. Be well.